I'm going to read from 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, referring to the people of Israel. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their, their, their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for being in charge of your word, and we know that all scripture is breathed out by you, that these are your words that you have preserved, although using human authors, and you've preserved it not just for churches in Asia Minor, not just churches 2,000 years ago, but, but this church here now this morning. And so you know, Father, that this is a warning that we need, and we pray, Lord, for wisdom as we understand what your word says, and also wisdom how our, how our hearts uh, should be applying. I do pray, Father, that what is, is taught this morning from your word, that it would sink into our hearts, and that it would transform us in this upcoming week. In Jesus' name, amen. The American media is gripped with news of this uh, of of the potential outbreak of the coronavirus, COVID, and I should have asked a doctor. I thought of asking a doctor. I looked online to try to find out how how, how to pronounce this, but it doesn't. The the the, the online pronunciation is not on YouTube yet. COVID nineteen though, when someone is diagnosed as having this virus, they go into quarantine right? They are isolated from others to keep as many people safe as possible. But how do you protect yourself when there aren't symptoms? I had just read in, in Washington State that someone died of this virus, and it is possible that in the weeks that they've been infected, it could have led to 500 to 1,500 other people also being contaminated by this virus. I bring up that, that, that thing that's so pressing, maybe on some of our minds. I think some of us are like, hey, it's a virus, I'm going to be fine. Other of us, though, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's terrifying, it's gripping. You, you see these news headlines. You don't know how much you should think about it or should you think about it at all. But when Peter wrote the churches in Asia Minor, he was dealing with something far more serious. We know that every one of us is going to die. But more serious than death is where we, are, where we will spend eternity. And that is really what Peter is writing about. It's the spread of something far worse than a coronavirus. See, Peter warns these churches that already in their midst, there's false teachers advocating destructive heresies. Now, they weren't quarantined. They were right there in their midst. They weren't making themselves obvious. They didn't kind of have, have some, some hazardous symbol on them, stay away. They were spreading germs of false teaching secretly, coughing everywhere, spewing destructive heresies. 
So Peter wrote to these churches to prevent a, a pandemic of apostasy, of people leaving the true faith in Jesus Christ. And so here in, in chapter 1, which we finished last week, Peter taught them how to be safe. And really, you can go back, and, and I would encourage you, every time I go further into 2 Peter, I get more of the wisdom of Peter. He's been building up for us everything you should be doing. He tells you, this is how you are to be really, really healthy. This is what your diet should be, and this is how you should wash your hands, and you should get plenty of rest. Of course, he's not talking about the body. He tells us how we can have a flourishing and fruitful faith and be welcomed by Jesus' arms wide open, that we know that we are going to heaven because we are those who are being transformed by his grace. And he's telling us to, to keep listening to what, I, to what I've been telling you. You know you who you've heard the gospel from. And so you need to keep listening to me because he's going to warn them against these false teachers. This morning in 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see five, five aspects of these false teachers so that we will resist their schemes, so that we will wisen up and we will prevent damage to our souls. We will resist their schemes and prevent damage to our souls. This is about us, in a sense, keeping our hands clean. It's about us washing and doing all those things necessary to prevent us from getting what these false teachers are spreading. See, our brother Bill came very prepped for this message this morning. So first we're going to look at the presence of false teachers. The presence of false teachers. In the first half of verse 1, 2 Peter 2. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And Peter is, is it's a really natural transition from the end of chapter 1. Not everyone who claims to be a prophet is a prophet. Now, he said some tremendous things about true prophecy, that it's not a matter of, of, of one's own interpretation. People just don't get to bring whatever they want to Scripture and say, oh, it means this. No, Scripture has a meaning that is given by God at the end of verse 21. It says, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But not everyone who claims to be a prophet is an actual prophet. The, 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 the Old Testament in, 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 in Deuteronomy 13, Moses warned that false prophets would, would come. It's useful to look at false prophets in Israel's history so that we know what Peter was talking about when he said that false prophets also arose among the people. Because really, false prophets have always been, been, been motivated by the same motives and using the same schemes. So let's look at Jeremiah 14, verses 13 to 14. And uh, in your notes, I have a lot of references. I'm not going to use all of them. You can circle or the, 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 the ones I do use, but I put them there just, just so that you all don't feel a, a mad rush to write them all down. And it also lets me put in extras or skip some. So Jeremiah 14, verses 13 to 14. Uh, so Jeremiah says, Look, the prophets are telling them, so these are what the, prof, the false prophets are telling Israel. You will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. They're saying that they're speaking for God. There's good times ahead. The, the prophets like Jeremiah, they're, they're telling you judgment. Everything's going to be fine. Then the Lord said to me, to the prophet Jeremiah, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. 
I've neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. These are not men who God spoke from. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. They're making this stuff up. Jeremiah 23, verses 16 to 17. Thus said the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the word of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. And we see there some of the danger of false prophets and what they maximize upon. They say to those who are in the stubbornness of their own hearts, who are not listening to God, who have blocked their ears, calamity will not come upon you. You can ignore God and be fine. We'll we'll go back a little bit in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 5, verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and my people love it so and here's the problem my people love it so why do people love false prophecy because it says you're not going to be judged everything's going to be fine because they want independence from God They want freedom from his rules. They want safety without being submitted to God. They want a broad way instead of a narrow way. And it's appealing to hear, oh, everything's going to be fine. Jesus loves you. Maybe they even throw in there, Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus will forgive you. And some of that's true, right? He will forgive you. But you do need to repent. The false prophets consistently prophesied peace regardless of how the people lived. They have healed, in Jeremiah 6.14, the brokenness of my people superficially saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. You're going to be fine. Ezekiel 13, verse 10. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. They're saying, you can live outside of God's plan and be happy. You don't have to deny yourself. You don't have to pick up your cross and follow me. There's an easy way for you. And that's what Peter's warning against. He says, false prophets also arose among the people, and they've been doing the same thing always, promising peace and doing things your own way. Keep going. Everything's going to be fine, and if you can, pass the plate and drop in some money. Well, Peter says, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And and it's interesting, he doesn't call them false prophets. He calls them false teachers. And we don't really know why, but it could be because these false teachers took the uh, line that there is no prophecy, that everything is always going to keep going as it always has. And we we see some of this teaching in chapter 3, verse 4. Jesus isn't coming back. There's no judgment. Everything is just going to keep going. So maybe Peter calls them false teachers rather than false prophets because they're not even worried about the future. And he says that there will also be false teachers among you. And we can tell from the letter that it's all that says will be, he's not just prophesying here. They're there presently. I don't know if there's any present here. I hope that there's not. 
But to these churches, Peter said, there are false teachers among you. Now, he uses the future, and it's probably because Jesus did in, in Matthew 24, 11. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Or Matthew 24, verse 24, false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. And so it's kind of, as he quotes Jesus here, he uses that same future tense. These, these false prophets are coming, but he says that they are among you. Will also be false teachers among you. And these uh, are not just coming from outside, they are homegrown. They are doctrinally in, in, indistinguishable for a, for a period of time, but over time they are exposed. They are men who reject the gospel because for them, deep down, it is not good news. It is not good news to submit to Jesus Christ. They would rather continue in sin. So what are we supposed to do with this first part of verse 1? just as there will also be false teachers among you. Well, we should prepare to be infiltrated by them. We should prepare to be infiltrated by them. There's a lot of talk in the news about stores running out of, of disinfectants and paper towels and anything that you would use to keep things clean. People are preparing for the germ spreading well, we should prepare for the infiltration of false teachers. Acts 20, verse 30 to 31, the Apostle Paul says, that from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. What if we took that seriously? What if we said from among this group, someone's going to arise, be on the alert? Now, I'm not saying we should keep looking over our shoulder and say, maybe it's him, maybe it's her. It doesn't mean that we should be skeptical of new people. Uh, we're going to keep a close-knit group here because we don't want anyone new. The, the Bible talks about us being hospitable. We want to be welcoming. At the same time, we shouldn't be comfortable just because someone has been here for a long time. They've been here for years. They, 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 they're not going to lead us astray. A really interesting verse is 1 Timothy 4.16, where the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Watch your life and watch your doctrine. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Watch your life and watch your doctrine. We should pay attention to our lives and to our teaching. We should pay... We don't need to panic, but we do need to protect ourselves by knowing God's word. And the more a church, and this is a great, a great blessing of Bible teaching churches, it is a great blessing of expository churches, the better a church knows God's word, the more they are protected from false teaching. In fact, you might have experienced several Bible teaching churches, and you're like, I don't think that any false teaching ever really got a foothold there. The more committed you are to knowing the truth of God's word, the more committed you are to studying God's word, to feasting upon it, to listening to good sermons, to reading, to taking notes and looking up those references afterwards, the more committed you are to knowing God's word, the safer you are going to be. 
And many say the, 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 the better you know the, the, the original, the easier it is to tell a counterfeit. So protect yourself from false teaching by digesting God's word. By, by drinking deeply of God's word, by taking in, in a lot of it, not just, not just by volume, but by meditating on it, on chewing on it. Commit yourself to being a Psalm 1 person who meditates on God's word day and night and delights on it. But we should also pay attention to our lives. We should also look at the lives, and I'm going to say it, of those around us. You know, Jesus tells how to find false prophets. He tells you how to tell a false prophet. And we often apply this verse to Christians in general. It's kind of a good warning verse. Are you saved or not? But it's, it is in the context of false prophets. Matthew 7, verses 15 to, to, to 23. And I'm going to read them all, all here. And it's not bad to further apply them. But Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets. Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're going to look like Christians. They're going to enjoy talking. They're going to listen to sermons. You will know them, verse 16, by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It is destroyed. So then you will know them by the fruits. Do you want to know who false prophets are? You will know them by their lives. Then Jesus continues, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That is, is not only a false teacher test, but it begins with that. You want to know who a false prophet is? Look for someone whose life is a hypocrisy, who is a discrepancy between what they say about Jesus Christ and what they are doing, who say that they're a good, healthy tree, but keep producing bad fruit. Now, some of you with sensitive consciences here might be worried, am I one of these? What is your response to this? Do you run to Jesus Christ? Do you go to him and say, I need forgiveness? I do see this discrepancy in my life. I need to be forgiven. I am willing to obey. A good tree produces good fruit. If you are right with the Lord, you will grow in obedience. But are you hard-hearted? Are you sitting here and saying, I see lots of discrepancies. I'm a Lord. If you just go on, maybe you'll become one of those false teachers. Jesus, these are Jesus' words here. Beware of the false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. He says, depart from me, you who practice law, lawlessness. 
We're not talking about a perfect life, but we are talking about a life of obedience where you love having Jesus as Lord. If you want to beware of false teachers in your own lives, love obedience, cultivate obedience, grow in obedience, repent of disobedience, enjoy the forgiveness of repentance. Become like Jesus Christ. Follow him. I don't know how to take Jesus' word seriously here if we don't be concerned about those whose lives do not match up with their doctrine. So that was first, the, uh, um, the presence of the false teacher. Let's, 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 let's look at the actions of false teachers next. In the second half of verse 1, we look at the presence of false teachers. Let's look at the actions of false teachers. It says that who will secretly introduce dis- destructive heresies. And that is what the actions of false teachers are, is they introduce heresies. And we're going to have, have three things these false teachers do. They introduce heresies. They, 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 they bring in, and often that word is used for something that is not lawful. It, does, it doesn't belong there. They bring it in. And it says heresies. Now, that is not just a flat-out thing that you know is wrong. They're saying that Jesus isn't God, and I know that's a heresy. Really, this word has a broader meaning. It is, the, the, the root of the word is choosing, right? It, which, which is not bad in itself. It's choosing. And it was used to refer to groups of people who chose the same thing. So words that we use are like sects or parties, schools, a faction. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were both heresies. And I'm not talking about their doctrine. They were just groups that chose, that chose to believe the same thing. Well, heresies was also not just the groups of people. It was also what those groups taught. Their, 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 the, 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 the thinking of a group, the opinions of a group, the teachings of a group. So these doctrinal opinions, these, these heresies of, of the false teachers. Now, when we use that word now, we use it in a way like, oh, a heresy is something that, that, that you can't believe and still be a Christian. Here it's more broadly just destructive teachings, destructive thoughts, destructive opinions. Well, they did have very destructive teaching uh, uh, of about Jesus Christ, that he wasn't returning. But they also had, had moral opinions too. Describes them in 2 Peter 2.14 as coming in, enticing unstable souls. 2 Peter 2 verses 18 to 19. They speak out arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in, in error. So they had a whole lifestyle of, of, and it'll describe this more later, of sinful, passion-pleasing lust. They bring in, they introduce these destructive teachings, these opinions, and Peter calls them, he describes them as, as destructive. In fact, he uses that word three times in verses one through, through a three. They are destructive heresies. They bring destruction upon themselves at the end of verse one. 
And in verse 3, their, their destruction is not asleep. The end of these heresies is judgment. That is what they do. They, they, they secretly bring in, they introduce wrong thinking, contrary to what you learned in Jesus Christ. So they introduce these heresies, and in so doing, what they do is reject Christ. So they, their action is to introduce heresies. Next, they reject Christ. We see at the end of verse 1, even denying the master who bought them, or, 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 or in the third part of verse 1, even denying the master who bought them. The master who bought them, and that word master, there is a different one. Uh, and, 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 and more seldom used in, in Scripture, it is used of slavery, of a slave owner, of someone who owns another person. And this master who bought them is describing Jesus Christ. It is talking about the lordship of Jesus and his right to rule our lives. That word bought is to acquire the rights of someone else by paying a price. Jesus bought those who are in Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, he has bought you for himself. You belong to him. He is your master and you are his slave. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Your eyes are not your eyes. Your ears are not your ears. Your body is not your body. Your time is not your time. Your money is not your money. You have been bought with a price. Revelation 5.9 describes what that price is. Worthy are you, calling unto Jesus, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The purchase price of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, was the blood of Jesus that he paid in ransom for your soul to rescue you from the punishment that you deserve. He, and it describes in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us, he bought us, he purchased us from the curse of the law when all of us were doomed because we had disobeyed God's law and judgment was coming for us. Instead, he stands in the way of judgment. He became a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that is what Jesus did when he hung on the cross is he became cursed for us. He gave his life in exchange for ours so that we could not just be free, not just live our lives however we want, so that we could belong to him, so that we could be slaves no longer to sin, but slaves to righteousness. As Peter said in the first epistle, 1 Peter 4, 4 verse 2, so we could no longer live, so that we could live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God, so that we would be radically different living our, our lives to please him. The false teachers did not recognize the 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 uh, the obligation of obedience. They would not be the Lord's slaves. They had accepted the gospel. They had gotten baptized. They had prayed their prayers. They had done the altar call. But deep down, they rejected being Christ's slave. It says that denied the master who bought them. They, they, as they taught these destructive teachings, they rejected association with Christ. And it, and it wasn't like they were, they, they didn't want to talk about Jesus or that they, they, they weren't just simply saying, oh no, Jesus didn't die. Or there's salvation some, some other way. We don't see any indication of that. They didn't theologically deny, as far as we know, Jesus as Savior, but they denied him as Lord. They denied him as, as, as the one who is coming back to reign on this earth. 
They rejected him. They, they repudiated him. They denied him. They're like, no, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is not someone who owns me. What kind of archaic thinking is that? So they denied the master who bought them. And it says at the end of verse 1, a third action. So they bring in these heresies. They reject Christ. And it says that they destroy themselves, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And this is what they are doing to themselves. They bring on swift destruction upon themselves. And that destruction there is talking about eternal punishment, forever being punished away from God's presence. It's swift. And either it happens when they die or when Jesus returns, the judgment is certain, though the timing is not known. It's as if they're sitting there drenched in gasoline. They don't know when the match is going to drop. And that's true for all of us who are not right with Christ. Judgment could happen at any time. So run to him. Turn to him and be saved. Jesus says at the end of this letter, 2 Peter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord, when Christ returns, we talked about the day of the Lord last time, will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. When judgment comes, it will be final. It says they've brought this upon themselves. They are the cause of their own destruction. They thought that they were safe. They thought that, that they'd done everything they needed to, to escape punishment. They had signed on the dotted line of becoming a Christian. They undoubtedly had been baptized. Now, this doesn't mean when it says that, that, that they deny the master who bought them. It doesn't mean that they lost their salvation. Philippians 1.6 promises that, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you are truly saved, if God has brought you from death to life, if you have newness of life, you will forever be saved. And I have some, some, some other cross-references there you can explore there too. That God is faithful and he saves those he saves. It's more ta talking about looking at appearances. From the outside, everyone... Uh, thought that, that they were those who had been bought by Christ. Everyone thought that he was their master. They had professed faith. They had looked saved at least for a time. It reminds us again of Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, who gets baptized, not everyone who prays a prayer, not everyone who goes to church for many years, not everyone who's in a care group, not everyone who serves in children's ministry, not everyone who plays in the worship team, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will, will, will enter. The false teachers would have you follow along the same path. And there are false teachers, if not inside this church, outside this church, that would have you follow along the same path. They want you to buy into their teaching, to live a life without Christ as your master. And they don't care about the state of your soul. So are you on guard against something new? Are you on guard against something new? Or are you open-minded in an unhealthy way? Is, 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 is your ear kind of bent for something that seems easier than this Christian life? 
something that's more culturally acceptable, something that's less exclusive, less cost, less old-fashioned, less obedience. A great way to start off is by asking, how's your relationship with Christ as your master? Is he the Lord of your day now? Is Jesus the Lord of your day? I have a friend who says that every time I meet with him, Jesus is the Lord of his day. And what a great way, a simple way of thinking about our lives. Jesus is my master from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. He's my master. Is he the Lord of your day? If he's not the Lord of your day now, how do you think you're going to respond when these false teachers come in? Promising you ease, promising you less controversy, promising you more pleasure. They seem okay. He's not their master. So far, we've seen the presence of these false teachers, the actions of these false teachers. Let's look at the impact of these false teachers, the impact of these false teachers. It says in the beginning of verse 2, many will follow their 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 sensuality. Many. Their teachings will become popular among Christians. Matthew 24, verse 11, Jesus said the same thing. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Many means many. We would be foolish to look and say, oh, it doesn't mean me. Many will follow. To follow is to to submit themselves to, to kind of to imitate, to be devoted to, 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 to take what they're saying as authoritative. Here's a new way of being a Christian. Here's an easier way. Here's a more pleasing way. Here's a way of more sensuality. And for them, that was behavior lacking in any moral restraint. It was just abandoning yourself and and, and often to, 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 to sexual sins, to a licentious lifestyle, it was a world that had a lot of, 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 pro, of prostitution. A lot of the worship was at, uh, uh, at, at, at the cults involved, involved prostitution. It wasn't just hiding in your home looking at images you shouldn't. Just prostitution was normal. When he says many will follow their, their sensuality, Confessing Christians are going to be impacted. Those, those who, who have been bristling with the confines of God's laws, who haven't been loving obedience, who've been looking over the fence and say, you know, I kind of, I kind of miss sin. I, I was, I, wasn't that enjoyable? Starts kind of wistfully looking at what they're missing out on. See, the Christians are going to be attracted by their freedom of these, of these false teachers, maybe by their boldness in this age, by the authenticity of these false teachers, by their love of life, by their message of you're trying too hard. God made these things for you to enjoy. You're missing out on pleasures that God has given you, and I don't know exactly what track they took. 
but they are like, like men going around with hammers and they smash the fences that God's word has put in place to keep us safe. Like marriage. Like Satan, they're saying, take, eat. Did God really say? Don't worry so much. Does the Bible really say you have to go to church every week? Do you really need to read the Bible daily? You know, the Bible doesn't say that. It calls us to much more, to be meditating on it day and night. Peter's saying this so that we're not surprised. Many will follow their sensuality. Don't be surprised. This is going to happen. And Peter knows it would rock your world if he didn't tell you. As those who you knew were Christians, you, 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 you knew that Jesus had bought them, at least you thought, and now they're gone. And you all know people like that. Calvin says, there's nothing that disturbs godly minds so much as defection. To prevent this destroying our faith, Peter interposes with a timely prediction that this very thing will happen. It is shocking to us when those that we were confident were saved, that they love Christ, leave Christ. So Peter warns them it's going to happen. He's also warning us to don't give in to their lies. Don't let the allure of gratifying your flesh keep you from being supplied an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So where are you tempted to return to a lifestyle that you've repented of? And maybe you're not, which is great, but maybe you have been. Maybe you're making compromises about sins that you had previously fled from. Maybe you are dressing in a way to, to, to get men's attention. That was a sin you'd put off, or you're, you're, you're taking the habit at work of flirting, men and women. Or maybe you knew that you needed to repent of drinking when you came to Christ, and, but now you're, you're, you're toying with it again. I'm not, I'm not making a stance of what is right or wrong about alcohol, but in your own life, you knew you needed to run from that. Are you now returning to it? Are you watching things on television that when you first got saved, you would have no business watching? You knew that Christ would be horrified by you watching, and now it's become commonplace again? When you first got saved, those sins that you ran from are, are, are you now toying with. Then you are in a place to be, you're, you're, you're going to be a sucker. Or you're going to be deceived. You're going to be swindled. These false teachers with their promise of pleasure is going to seduce you. So those sins that you ran from keep running. Love obedience. Say, hey, where's it safe? If there is a Christian in your life encouraging you to go back to former sins, beware of them. And I don't know who they are. I don't know if anyone of you has any of them in your, in your life. But be on guard, because that's what a false teacher does. We need to be devoted to obeying Jesus Christ, not devoted to pleasing ourselves. Lovers of God rather than lovers of pleasure. That's how we stay safe from false teaching. Now, this is their, 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 their impact. Uh, 
This is their impact inside the church. We saw in the first half of verse 2, many will follow their, their, their sensuality. The second half of verse 2, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. The way of truth will be maligned. The way of the truth, it's another way to refer to the gospel. And it's not just the gospel as this, as this doctrine that saves you. Not just a how-to-get-saved gospel. If you believe that you've sinned and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe on him, you can be saved. Now, that is the gospel. But as this way of the truth, it's also all of our life. It is the commandments that Jesus has given us. And in the book of uh, Acts, it refers to being a Christian uh, and, and, and the term Christian is used there, but it's described as the, the way. It's really a beautiful way of thinking about being a Christian. It's the way. We could also say it's Jesus' way. It's the way. It's Jesus' way of getting saved. It's the way of obeying the commands that Jesus has given. It's the way. Second Peter 2.15 describes it as the right way. Verse 21, the way of righteousness To, to malign this way of the truth is to make little of it, to, to speak of it in an irreverent way, to disrespect it. And they do this because of their lives and also because of their influence on Christians. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Because of these false teachers, people are going to look at Christians and laugh. And not because of the holiness of their lives, but because of the inconsistency of their lives. And why wouldn't the watching world laugh? Those who aren't committed to the way realize that those who say that they are, who went through this, this public act of getting baptized, aren't living in a compatible way. They, 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 they won't worship Caesar, but they're still living like they're their own God, or look at what they're doing. The power of the gospel from these lives has gone missing, both of the false teachers and because of those that they're influencing. The previously repentant are those who are now eagerly returning. They're getting back in line for the former sins. The waters of baptism are nothing more but like a lukewarm bath that they had. It didn't mean anything. The cross of Christ is... is, is, is why did they go through that shame of following him in the first place if they just go back to their former sins? So Christ looks bad. The way of the truth looks bad. The world is watching us. So for one motivation to be on guard against these false teachers is the beauty of the gospel. It's so that this way of the truth is not maligned. So God is not spoken poorly of. So Christ is not shamed. In 1 Timothy 6, 1, uh, Paul is, 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 is instructing how, 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 how slaves were to obey their masters. And it was a common part of the ancient world. And he says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. We have to live in a way, obey in a way, be guarded against 
pleasing ourselves in a way so that the doctrine of God is not spoken against. Titus 2, verse 5, Paul calls younger women to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. God's reputation is at stake in the way that we parent and the way that we have our marriages. 1 Peter 2, verse 12, Peter says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You should be so noticeably different. The gospel should not come under attack because of the way that you live. The way of the truth should should be seen. Some people are going to hate it. Other people are going to be drawn to it, but it should be seen in its clarity. That is what we are to be doing as disciplers. We are to be helping one another live in the truth, in the way of the truth. We should be deeply committed to it. So do not let the way of the truth be minimized in your life as a detour. Those who end up leaving Christ are like, oh, well, they had a Christian stage. It's, it, 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 it's not the truth. It's just a phase that they went through. We need to be guarded against these false teachers so that we stick to the way of the truth, that we do things Christ's way. I don't think we have time to finish, but that is okay because verses 4 through through, 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 through 9 we'll probably look at next time. Verses 4 through 9 are are, are really an, an explaining of uh, the, the end of verse 3. So, so, so next time, uh, we'll, we'll probably explore verses 3 through 9. But I need to stop there. This is, you know, this is not how in seminary you are taught how to end a sermon. <laughs> See, so this is uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm not going to plead before service anymore for uh, coming to prayer time. No, okay. Um, the warnings are there. False teachers will come. Who would they target? Who would they target? Would they target you? Let's just say someone came in with the coronavirus, and they have some ill intent, and they're looking for some people that they could spread this on. First of all, it would be children. But because, you know, they're always touching their face and everything. Okay, but if someone, if a false teacher were coming into this church, would they target you? They won't target those who are deeply invested in loving God's word, right? The more your word is good, the more satisfaction you find in it, the more you're enjoying praying to the Lord, the more his word is your delight, the safer you are. The more you are satisfied, the more you are loving obedience, the more you are committed to the way of the truth, the more your life is matching up, the more you are loving salvation because you're enjoying obedience. When you are one of those who aren't looking back and saying, you know, the flu looks pretty good. They get to stay at home. I don't know. It's crazy, right? It's crazier for us to look at our lives of sin and say, it's looking pretty good right now. This being a Christian is kind of hard. 
So don't look backwards. If you're looking back, if you're looking over the boundaries of God's word, if you're saying, boy, the grass looks greener, you're in danger. Stay safe from these false teachers. Be able to identify their destructive heresies, their their wrong thinking. Recognize those who are denying the master who bought them. And we have a, a, a need, a urgency, when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ not living like Jesus is Lord, to go to them and say, brother, sister, Jesus bought you with his blood. It's time to work hard at some obeying. He's, he's united you with him. Because he's resurrected, you can obey. Learn the way of the truth. Commit your life to it. Be a disciple. Let's guard one another. Let's keep one another safe. Peter says, there will be false teachers among you. Are you prepared to say safe from their heresies? Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this warning that you have preserved for us. And it's good for us to examine our own hearts and whether we are in danger of uh, being persuaded by false teachers. I pray, Father, that um, every person here would know the joy of obedience. Lord, that even as Jesus says that the way to salvation, the way to life is a narrow way, and the way to destruction is a broad way. Many are on it, Lord. Uh, the narrow way, it is, it is a way of humility. It is a way of repentance. It is a way of dying to ourselves, and it is at times hard. Jesus describes following you, following him as picking up our cross and following. Lord, I pray that, that each of us in our walks, Lord, would look at this, this, this cost of following and saying that we would go no other place I pray, Father, that we would not be on the narrow way looking at the broad way and, 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 and being jealous of, of, of coveting their, 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 their supposed ease and, and, and the pleasure and forget that it leads to destruction. I pray, Father, that you would help the saints here to be safe, to love the way of Jesus, to love his commands, commands like, like, like loving our enemies and, and commands about, about prayer and commands about being humble and, and all of those things that we read Jesus say that are so shockingly hard. Lord, may we love them and may we embrace the safety of them. I, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be guarding us. Help us to be faithful in guarding one another, Lord. Help us to be using the means of grace in our lives to, 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 to be in your word as if our lives depended on it, Lord, tasting and seeing how good you are, Lord. And help us to be praying for ourselves and for one another that we would be delivered from temptation. And help us, Father, uh, help our care groups to, uh, to be places where, where, where we really um, push one another to submit to you as master, to love you as Lord, God, that we would be safe. And, um, and even as Peter said, that we would look forward to uh, that entrance being supplied to us into your presence. We thank you, Father, that we, uh, you've given us what we need, Lord, that you've given us, uh, made us participants even in your nature. You've transformed us so that we love righteousness 
Father, I do pray that you would uh, help those here this morning uh, where, where they know they are not on the, the, the way of the truth, Lord. Maybe they haven't even considered it really. Lord, I pray that they would be concerned about destruction. They would see the beauty of having Jesus Christ as their master, and they would know that there's no other way. Please, Lord, I pray that you keep transforming us through your word in this upcoming week. Help us to be faithful meditating on it. In Jesus' name, amen.